This is the Tribune Audio Network. This episode of Eat It Virginia is brought to you by your locally owned and operated McDonald's restaurants. The McRib is back October 14th. It's this, it's this yes and culture. It's this go-getterness that we were raised with. And so being, you know, the daughter of a restaurateur, I grew up noticing how long it takes a server to greet me. And I grew up, I mean, it's just, it's in my blood. It's Monday, November 18th. We are legal. This is Podcast 21. Today, we have Paige Healy, and she has no bad days at Island Shrimp Company. There's been some closings, and Scott, Scott wants to talk about brunch. Welcome to Eat It, Virginia. Hello, and welcome to Eat It, Virginia. My name is Scott Wise, and I'm here with my friend, my friend, Roby Martin. Roby, how the heck are you? I'm good, Scott. I am good. Episode 21. I know. How does it feel old enough to have some whiskey? We're going to get wasted tonight. <laughs> I think we are. I feel like you just all of a sudden reverted back shots. to a college kid. We're going to get wasted. 21. Bring on the green drinks. <laughs> no, I no. think we should drink. Out of coconuts tonight, in honor of Paige Healy. Oh, look at you! Right, swinging it all in. Yeah, Paige is our guest today on the podcast. What did you think of that drink in that coconut? She she gave you a drink and a coconut. I, I thought it was awesome until I heard about the price. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, so let's talk about this because you know what? In the coconut, obviously, it's a lot pricier than it would be if it was not in the coconut. Right. Now, do you feel you need to have it in a coconut all the time? I think it's a fun occasion, maybe on a special, maybe on your 21st birthday or your 21st podcast. Okay. Order the drink and the coconut. All right. I'm not sure you need that every single night, though. It's definitely fun for a special occasion. What did you think about the coconut drink? I actually thought it was really, really good. It might be one of my favorite pina coladas in this, not in the city, because it's at Chesterfield Town Center. That's right. So Paige's family owns a bunch of restaurants in town, the Boathouses, the Casa del Barcos, and the new Island Shrimp Company at Chesterfield Town Center. So for those of you guys that have been asking me about what this party bridge is, I probably have gotten 60 or 70 questions. It is a bridge that connects their two restaurants together in the front of Chesterfield Town Center. So Island Shrimp Company is connected to the new Casa del Barco, and you can move between restaurants. So let's say Scott really wants nachos. Always. Yep. And I am really feeling uh, pineapple filled with rice and pork. We can have both of those things. A typical Monday night for you. Absolutely. Just one big pineapple filled with rice and pork. Um, We can have both of those things in the same place because of the bridge. The party bridge. And we'll get into that with Paige in a little bit. Speaking of parties, our last podcast, we talked a little bit about Fire, Flower, and Fork. I think we were still recovering a little bit from the weekend that was. Dude, it's a big weekend. Such a big weekend. Especially for you. I mean, not only... Were you eating a lot and drink, drinking some, but hosting a lot of different events around I town? I did. I hosted one, two, three, three events um, for Fire, Flower, and Fork. I did the Maple and Pine Dinner, which was great. And that had a bunch of people from the line, D.C., Brothers and Sisters, and then from Bourbon Steak, which is at Four Seasons in D.C. So we had a pile of D.C. chefs come down and cook with the individual from Maple and Pine, who is David Dunlap. I don't know why it took me so far, so long to get his name. It's his 21st birthday. We're getting old. It must be what it is. Well, David did a great job, and so did those guys. Interestingly enough for that, and I did some research on Pichet Ange. What would you call me? 
Oh, yeah. <laughs> He's the pastry chef at Brother and Sisters in D.C., and he is one of the most talented pastry chefs in the nation. We had this wild dessert that was like half frozen, half not, with this beautiful fruit, and he spent most of the time downstairs in Maple and Pine's kitchen working on it and then served it to us, waved, and then just kind of ambled Vanished off. into yes. thin air. Yes. Mysterious. It was, it, was very, it was very cool in a Baroque way, which was the, the, the theme, theme of the, of the night. Dinner. Nice. Mm-hmm. I saw you at Smoke on the Water where you were hosting panels and eating barbecue and yes. talking to friends. So we had two panels on barbecue there, which I think went, we were thinking we were going to have no attendees, and we had so many. We had Black Pitmasters, and I did not moderate that one. I merely just hand microphones around, and that actually is going to have some audio, and it's really worth listening to. Do you think we can put that on a future podcast? Are I you totally gonna, uh, Are you negotiating that for us? I am, because right, Howard great. Conyers, Dr. Howard Conyers, the rocket scientist now turned barbecue guy, talks about aquarium smoking. Can't wait to hear it. Oh, some of the coolest stuff in the world with regards to, like, just things that I didn't know anything about. And then we had three pitmasters after that. Mike Lindsay, our first guest. Our Man, very we first put him guest. through the paces. He did both panels, and they talked about, like, the cost of meat. You know, a cow has two briskets and how that's going up because people are starting to consume more in the ways that they're making it. And Chris was on that panel as well, Chris Fultz. He sure was. Right, I, was, I, was I was in the back of the room for that one. He's, he's, those guys, the whole group of the individuals were just amazing, and I want it to be on a larger scale somehow next year. And then... And then... I watched a drag queen roll down the steps of the Virginia History Museum. So Richmond has come a, f- a long way, I think, in our, in our time here, so... Physically roll down the steps. Oh, physically roll. Like roll. Not like rolling with his or her homies? Nope. No, Physically no, no, no. rolling. Physically roll down the stairs while a, singing Patty LaBelle. I saw a lot of video on your Instagram. Oh, so funny. So the drag brunch happened on Arthur Ashe Boulevard near the museums. Or in, in front, front of the museums. Directly in front. Tell me a little bit about that experience. <laughs> well, the funny... First, it was the most amazing thing. It was 230 of my closest friends, along with David Burtka, who was Neil Patrick Harris's husband, and Poppy Tooker, who is the Los, Los Angeles, no, New Orleans, Louisiana. She writes a book called Drag Brunch. So she wrote a book on drag queen brunches, and then she came and did a little talk. We signed cookbooks. David Burtka brought his. He signed his cookbook. And then they did like a two-hour drag show. John Jesse, who is Natasha Carrington... He, you can find him him at Long Oven. You can find her at Godfrey's, which gotcha. is very cool. Um, she emceed it with me. It was, oh, dude, I don't even understand. We made history literally in front of the History Museum. But it, there's no better place to make history, I suppose. It, it, it was great. So people were still going to the History Museum while we were there, which is. Did you get some looks, I'm guessing? <laughs> At one point in time, a drag queen was coming down the steps while six or seven tourists stood right in front of them and tried to figure out where they should enter the museum. It was it was serendipitous because they were turned around and saw this happen, and I think that they were overwhelmed with like all how all how good it is. If you have the opportunity, you should go see what they've added to the story of Virginia because there's a bunch of LGBTQ things that were just recently added, and we celebrated that historical component. It was just amazing. I'd, I'd do it again in an instance. You're coming next year, correct? Yes, who knows how I'll be dressed. 
We'll see. Oh, good. I hope with lots of contouring, because apparently that's a thing. I'm not sure what that is, but we'll take care of it. Somebody's going to teach me. I don't know what it is Let's either. talk about the food at the drag brunch. So was food served? Was it actually a brunch brunch? Uh, loosely. Okay. Um, two whole pigs smoked by Tyler Trinium of Autumn Olive. Okay. That were decimated. <laughs> like, I just, I mean, they... I don't. I think it took maybe forty-five minutes. Pig for breakfast. He spent the night at the history museum smoking with lunch and supper smoker to make these pigs, and they just were just plowed through. What do you look for in a brunch in general? No, you tell me what in you general, look for I'm in a tell brunch. You, I'm going to tell you, but I want to hear your opinion first. No, but I feel like you have like something up your sleeve. Not here. really. I've been to. I've, uh, I don't make it out to brunch very often. I'm not a huge brunch guy. I've been to two places recently for brunch. Ooh. Yeah. Hobnob, which is in Lakeside. Sweet. And Crafted, which is the new restaurant that opened in Libby Mill. So here are my thoughts on brunch. People okay. that eat, i.e. you and me, are hardcore brunch fanatics. I need the mimosas. I really need chicken and waffles. I love a pancake. I don't really know. You Whatever you eat for brunch, I, I got no idea. But bacon, egg, and cheeses. The individuals that cook for a living, I think that they would like to set brunch on fire. Why is that? The not the restaurant. So when somebody hears like just that snippet, it's the actual physical act of brunch. Not brunch on Main Street. No. The um, concept of brunch. I think that they're tired. Do you want to go to work after a hard day? Do you want to go to work on Saturday morning? See, I don't. Well, no. But uh, I, I don't know how all this. I don't, I'm not, I've never worked in a restaurant. I don't so know how it all works. The same people that have worked Saturday night generally are there I, Sunday I, morning. I wish. I'm gonna say yes. Okay. It, if you work, I can see where that could be a drag. Sure. So you worked brunch. late on Friday night. You worked late on Saturday there? night. Drag brunch. Drag. It could be a drag brunch. I, uh, I just went right past it in hopes that we wouldn't have to bring <laughs> it back up. <laughs> yes, I saw what you did there, Scott. <laughs> I need some credit. Yes, I, I know. some credit in life. There it is. Not even a smile. Yes, I gave you a just smile. Just a chuckle. But I'm talking about these hardworking Sorry. restaurant individuals. Yes, back to them. More anyway, about me. They don't want to go. Yes, goodness. They don't want to go to work on Sunday. I get it. So I think that's what it is. Well, I will tell you the folks at Hobnob and the folks at Crafted, we're, both, we're all very polite. Everything was good. The food was delicious. So let's talk about Crafted because okay. I have been, hmm, it's beautiful. Yes. It's huge. It is. I think the food's a little lumpy. Well, you know, it was, I had brunch, so I don't know if that's an easy, it was a croissant with an egg and some bacon. I mean, it, was, it wasn't super fancy, but it hit the spot at the time. What did it cost you? Uh, my dignity. <laughs> Up next is Paige Healy. She has the Boathouse and several other restaurants all around Richmond. She's going to tell us about them. Want more food in your ear? Subscribe to the podcast or find us on Twitter at Eat It Virginia, Instagram at Eat It Virginia, or Facebook at Eat It Virginia. And now, back to the show. Scott, I'm staring at turquoise shipping containers, and the light in here is amazing. We are at Island Shrimp Company in the chest. I don't even feel like I'm in a mall. Do you feel like you're in a mall? This feels like Jamaican mall. Well, we're here with Paige Healy, who is part of Hospitality Group, and we're going to talk to her about what she does. I'm so eager to find out what you want to know about me. I am I'm on the edge of my seat. Well, first, tell me your official title. So my official title is Chief Creative Officer, which means that I do all of the stuff with a great team for the way that we look, sound, taste, 
feel, the whole experience of the brands. So I've started doing that about two, three years ago formally. And hopefully you can see how some of the, the atmosphere, the food, the plating, the way you're greeted, the way the voice, machine, the voice message sounds, all of that stuff, the branding, the stickers, the coasters. I mean, it's just, it's really the creating the whole vibe of the restaurants. I like to have my hand in that. And with the t big team, uh, we're able to shape and steer and create concepts that I feel like have full personalities versus, uh, you know, personalities that are one dimensional. Like I'm always striving to create a really awesome guest at a party who, when they walk into the room, doesn't just walk up and say, hi, I'm Paige, I like shrimp. Hi, I'm Paige, I like shrimp. Hi, I'm Paige, I like shrimp. I like to have a cool outfit on. I like our restaurant to have some personality and depth. They can tell some stories. They've lived some life. And they feel well-rounded and interesting so that at the end of that conversation, you don't go, keep me away from that person for the rest of the night. You say, wow, I, I want to go back in for more. I want to learn more because there's more depth there. Sure. How important do you think it is for the guests to have a well-rounded experience? Like, do you think that you have repeat customers because of your coasters? I think that telling a story that's so cohesive is extremely important. And so the coasters are just part of that. Sure. They're like, you know, the earrings or something if you're going out. It's creating a personality of a restaurant that people want to be friends with because they want to keep on coming back and going over your house and having that great time over and over again. If you don't know their name every time they come into your house, then you're going to lose that friend. <laughs> you're going to lose that friend. And that's the same way we talk about our customer service and our hospitality. We want to make sure everybody feels welcome and feels engaged and feels valued so that just like any friendship or any person-to-person -person connection, you're going to want more and enjoy more and build and get a richer experience each time you're there. You're not going to just say, oh, I've been there once, twice, I got it all, I'm done. Okay. How did you get started? Like, t like, tell me your trajectory to here, because it's only been two years that you've been running the whole experience. About, yeah, two to three. I, th I think it's been, I'm underestimating myself. I do that sometimes, but it's it's been about three, four years that I've been running the whole thing, three years that I've had the traction and the ability to, to make that change. Because when you're coming into a company, no matter how much you've worked in the past as a kid there, <laughs> which really helps, by the way, build respect. <laughs> uh, you're coming into a team that's fully formed and has a way of doing things. And so um, for about a year or so, it was learning the group learning the dynamics, learning how to influence those dynamics. And then the past three years has really been, once I've been a part of that group, welcomed in, learned the dynamics, and had to shift it and change it, I'm able to actually influence something that the customer at the end sees. Um, I've been with the company for about six years now. I worked heavily on food when I first started. Um, I've always been really into food, really into tasting new things and experiencing new uh, cultures based on food. Um, I, my history, if we just like go way, way back, my, <laughs> my history is, um, you know, first memory I have with food is when I was like four years old 
in the kitchen with my two-year-old brother, and I was going to, like, make a soup. And I'm going to make a freaking sweet soup. So I grab a potato out of the cupboard. I say, it in my head, if it's white on the inside, it was cooked. I've learned that's not true now. But if it was white on the inside, it's cooked. And I grab some strawberries. I grab some celery. I grab some lukewarm water from the tap. I do know to salt and pepper to taste. I do that. Sure. And I make us this big feast of raw potatoes, strawberry, celery, lukewarm water, salt and pepper to taste, uh, soup. And, you know, he is the kindest guy in the world, eats the whole thing, telling me it's fantastic. I told him it was disgusting. I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't have anything. But I always wanted to be a, a chef originally. And so I got in the kitchen at what was the boathouse at Sunday Park, young I'd have to stand on a milk crate, wear my mesh glove, you know, chopping onions, chopping vegetables, probably taking three hours to prep something that a 16-year-old could prep in 20 minutes. But, um, but I was in there, and I felt valuable, and I felt creative. And I think creative's always been the word that I identify with and how I express myself and like live my fullest, you know, live to my fullest potential as being creative. So, um, so I experienced that in the kitchen and then I hosted and I bartended as I got older for a quick minute. And <laughs> I was very good at opening bottles and making three drinks, blackberry mojito, Long Island iced tea. And I don't even know what the other one was, but those were my two go-to and then op opening bottles, opening wine. And so I, um, I went out to uh, school in Arizona um, because I was very into outdoor ed and I was very into leadership education and like what's the structure around leadership and how is leadership taught. And I started working for a company called, I, I started guiding tours in the Grand Canyon first. So I, I learned in that experience how to tell stories and it's called, um, in, this is going to get like really nature geek for a second, like everybody put on your Smokey the Bear hat, but um, it's uh, called interpretive talks that you do. So when you bring somebody out to the Grand Canyon, they can look at the Grand Canyon and they can see it, but they don't really appreciate it usually, usually until you've given them some sort of context to understand and like have their brain actually understand I want to say like capisce like understand completely the the entire magnitude of what's in front of them and so you can say like well at this point it's a mile wide and a mile deep and at this point like these are where the you know the I guess the horse thieves would take this trail and you can see it's hidden and shaded here and da da, da. And, and after walking away from that experience, they'd have this emotional connection now to this place that they went and really feel like they got a full experience out of it versus the 90% of the people that go to the Grand Canyon who drive up, they look at it and then hopefully they go get ice cream because that would just be a long drive if you didn't. <laughs> That's the end? Yeah. You look at the Grand Canyon and then you get a, vanilla, a scoop of vanilla? 90% 90, 90 of people drive up, look at it, and turn around. Ooh. Yeah. And, um, and so uh, working... That, actually. Seriously, you drove to the Grand Canyon, <laughs> got a visual. 
and bolted. It was before selfies, so yeah, I didn't take a selfie. <laughs> mm. Well, then you weren't there because there's no it pictures to prove safer, it. Because the selfies that. are a big deal now. So how do you apply that knowledge you learned of the Grand Canyon in Arizona to the restaurant concepts here back in Richmond? Yeah, so being able to connect people to the space and have them fully appreciate it for what it is, is that storytelling and that fully rounding out that brand that I'm very passionate about. So when Roby asked me, is somebody going to come in because of the coaster? No, but are they going to come in because it's this curated experience that they walk into and it tells a full story and you don't just look at the restaurant and walk away. I'm not comparing our restaurant to the Grand Canyon yet. <laughs> I don't I mean, know. It's, it's pretty very awesome. attractive in here. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe not quite as large as the no, Grand there's Canyon. A, there is a chasm. But, um, <laughs> we, uh, I can see it from here. <laughs> but what, what I learned there is how to connect with people and how to use that connection in a way that I think builds memories and experiences for their lifetime. And, and our goal at Hospitality Family Restaurants, so the, the restaurant group that uh, my dad created and I'm working on taking over, is that we celebrate life one bite at a time. Like, that's our mission. And so to do that, there's a lot of curating. There's a lot of experiences that we're trying to make and, and so many individuals that come in. So it's not just one experience fits all. So name the restaurants that are involved in hospitality. So we have the original, the Boathouse, right? So that was originally at Sunday Park. Now we have the Boathouse at Sunday Park, Rockets Landing, Short Pump Town Center, and the Boathouse at City Point. If you guys have never been to the Boathouse at City Point, you have to go because it is gorgeous. That's a Hopewell, right? Yes. And so... It sits on the confluence of the Appomattox and the James River, and it looks like you're at the beach overlooking the bay, and there are bald eagles flying around. It's just, like, majestic and amazing, and and it's such a surprise when, <laughs> when you go opened, over the bridge. It was, a, like, a big deal for that community. Like, when a, when a restaurant opens in the mall, you know, there's lots of restaurants at the mall, but I feel like when that opened up in Hopewell, it was a really big deal for that yeah. community. Yeah. Well, it's a really big deal for the community. It was a really big deal for people surrounding the community. And within the first month, we served over twice the number of people who actually live in Hopewell. So it was just, it's just Hopewell's vision and our vision came together and, and it became this gathering place that, that had once been, it was an old uh, shell of a restaurant called Navigator's Den. And, um, and it was revived and um, it's no longer looks anything like Navigator's Den, but it still has that same spirit, I think, of that community gathering spot. So all the boathouses, so that's five now, right? Well, I think we're at four, unless I'm mistaken. No, you would know. I don't. (laughs) And then what are the rest? And then we have uh, three Casa del Barco's. So we have Casa del Barco on the Canal Walk in Richmond, Casa del Barco at Short Pump Town Center, and Casa del Barco at Chesterfield Town Center, woo woo! Just opened Which we're staring yesterday, right, at. right? Yep, opened yesterday in mid-October. And, yeah, right. And depending on when this airs, we're pro- we're open all the time. But mm-hmm. if it airs tomorrow, then we're open three st- till through happy hour mm-hmm. to end. So close. <laughs> we have like a limited hours for our first week. That's it. But so if it'll it be aired, open all the time. Yeah, all the time. <laughs> Perfect. And then this one that we're sitting in currently. Yep. And then Island Shrimp Co. This is the newest creation, and this is something that I built from the ground up. So. Um, the menu design I work with, our concept chef, TJ Borowski, he and I did a lot of 
um, exploring and building and we were just looking through old menus the other day and it has taken so many different shapes and forms to find its perfect fit for the concept. We've also worked with Mike Avery. He's also on the creative team. Um, he does our beverage program. And so we worked really hard to find cocktails that would complement the food that we've created, but also stand on their own in a cocktail program that you can come in and get a respectable drink at that, you know, any, any, rum aficionado would would enjoy and um and then we took another step outside of what we've done in the past and created a booze free cocktail program so for those who are just interested in having delicious mixed flavors without the alcohol we have over you know three or four different booze free cocktails that i usually enjoy because i don't i get a hangover very easily <laughs> I do too. I don't know what it is now. You, I, I you hit could, 21 you and then it just... wave alcohol in front of my face and oh I, my gosh. I, I feel like crap the next yeah, morning. Yeah, I can't do that. <laughs> so what, what went into the, the look of this restaurant that we're in now? What That's a big question. When you, uh, when you put this together? Because it's very like photogenic, very colorful. What were some of the concepts that you so had to play in here? One thing we did was we built the exterior of the restaurant out of 13 shipping containers. So we feel like the... Restaurant has a story to tell, and the story is that these shipping containers have seen things. They have been on those waters. They have traveled from port city to port city on long ocean stretches, and they do a great job of reflecting that same depth of flavor that we want to reflect in our menu in kind of the dings and dents and history that they bring to us. So we have 13 shipping containers on the exterior of the restaurant. Then we wanted to make sure that this kind of port to plate concept has memories that are evoked for people who have been on that amazing vacation and they get that every time they walk in and the biggest compliment has been that so many people have said oh my gosh this reminds me of the time I was a vacation or x vacation or here doing this and our vision for this restaurant was to transport people to the last time that their toes were in the sand, coconut trees were over their head, and they were staring at turquoise blue waters. And so for some people, that's cruises, and they have different ports that they've been to at the cruise ships. And then some people, that's uh, St. Bart's, and some people, it's Jamaica, and some people, it's Hawaii. And we want to make sure that we have elements that visually reflect those those um those colors that vibrancy and um and that experience because a visual reminder that can trigger a memory but then also the smells and tastes that trigger that memory and so um smells and tastes are so strong in triggering memories that we feel like it's important to have environments that can that can do that so when you look around and you say like how'd you how'd you come up with this it's it's my, it, this is what my brain looks like. <laughs> this, is, this is what my brain looks like. Very colorful brain. Yeah. Very colorful. There's palm trees in my brain, and there's fun graphics on the wall that try and give a little bit of lightness, but also have that little Jamaican vibe sort of flag thing going in there. There's hints. We have our own um, shipping container company that we, like, created to brand the containers because unpainted containers just look dirty to me, but then if you strip away their history of where they've been and where they've gone they no longer tell a story so they're no longer valuable so we started telling that story and putting little easter eggs in the shipping containers so there's like telephone numbers hidden in and there's coordinates from places that we 
pulled inspiration for our jerk chicken and our, you know, Aloha pineapple bowl. And we created the uh, Royal Cargo line. It's so intentional. we have a, Everything's yeah, intentional. Yeah, it's super intentional. You created the Royal Cargo line so you could do shipping containers. Yeah, so we could tell the stories of these shipping containers. That's awesome. I'm glad that you love it because I get super excited when I talk about I it. I think it's very cool. Because, I, I mean, that's really taking the creativity to a whole nother like level this is where we wanted to go so we've now created an actual brand to be there we want the depth i mean we really Mm -hmm. want the depth that people could continue to come in and experience and get to know us better and better and better and build this deep friendship with us we're not surface level you know what i mean yeah I, i mean i'm looking at some of the cool things on the outside of your first shipping container when you walk into it that can see an rva which is Mm -hmm. well branded i mean there's a pipe in front of I mean I'm sure it says something else great but I mean even just noticing that I'm sure there's more it's very neat we were talking earlier about relationships and the relationship that you want to make with your customers and guests when they come to the restaurant but and you alluded to it earlier but this is a family business yes. that you work for or run essentially my so brothers and I are starting to take over so it's starting to be the kids the kids are coming in Coming in hot. Watch out, Dad. Mm-hmm. No, he's very graceful. Great, gracious. Not graceful, but gracious about it. He's, <laughs> I think he's pretty graceful. I don't know. I mean, Let's I don't spend a lot of time. Let's, I'd like him to right walk now, with a book on his head. Yeah, <laughs> dancing pirouettes, please. Yes. So let's back way up, like you said before, when you were a little girl in the kitchen. Um, when did you realize that you were in a restaurant family? What was that like growing up in a restaurant family? When you could get chicken fingers delivered to the pool every day that's what it was like i mean it was heaven no i mean growing up in the restaurant industry and family meant that we were so blessed to be able to go out and experience food at different restaurants when we had one restaurant we you know i think people imagine a different type of family than they imagine probably my history grander than it was because at one point we had one restaurant in Brandermill and that's what I grew up with until age 18. And so there were no, you know, trips to St. Bart's or anything like that. We were going out and uh, driving back and forth to New York to visit my family. And we were very into, uh, uh, the New York Italian food, oh my gosh, and the um, the different types of uh, Greek food you could get there. And it was always so, we were always, because of my dad and because of his industry of what he was doing, we were always searching for new interesting items that we could bring back to Virginia. I mean, we've failed the bagel so many times <laughs> because it's just we couldn't we couldn't bring it back, but they're from New York and and they have all these experiences that they'd share with us and then we continue to to go out and and get a lobster dinner when we're in Boston because that's what you need to do. My dad also at that same time decided lobsters are really cheap up here. Let me try and freeze them, not freeze them, but put a ton of ice in my car and drive them back and do a lobster special. 
it did not work out. Don't worry. Don't tell the health inspector. Nothing bad happened. But he figured he, long yeah, he, fig he figured out very quickly that that was not going to work out and no, no customers were hurt. We're harmed in the, harmed in the process. In the process of Those of poor lobsters, though. <laughs> they were totally harmed. <laughs> they were goners anyway. Though. That's the end. They, they I know, but it's that, it's that pioneer attitude that we were brought on ever since children. We, I mean, it's this, it's this yes and culture it's this you know if they can do it we can do it sort of sort of um go-getterness that we were raised with and so being you know the daughter of a uh restaurateur i grew up noticing how long it takes a server to greet me and i grew up i mean it's just it's in my blood and I, I didn't i didn't do this my whole life but i came back to it after after deciding to leave um outdoor education and um, and I went to Italy for a culinary program and said, okay, what can I bring back here special? How can I how can I add to this already strong family brand? And you brought back a man. I brought back mm -hmm. my husband. Yeah, <laughs> so special. Yes. Yeah, so, so you so you didn't just go to Italy and hang out and get well, some pasta. Well, I don't ever underperform. Yeah, I was, gonna say, <laughs> I was like, you really shot for it. <laughs> yeah, I don't underperform. No, um, my Tell my us husband. The story. Oh, Tell us go, the story. You don't even. You can't even handle it. Okay. <laughs> no, it is. It's it's a fairy tale. It's amazing, but. Um, but it, it also taught me so much when I was there about cooking. I went to a culinary program that was based on Michelin star style cooking. Now, I'm not a Michelin star style chef. Do not, do not get those two things confused. But that's what they were teaching there. And I liked it. And I, 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 I liked it. You know, you hear that in my voice. I liked it. Sure. It, but I loved the stuff that the grandmas were cooking and the sisters were cooking and very rarely the husbands and brothers were cooking and it was the stuff that was the rustic kind of cuisine and it was picked fresh in the moment and cooked simply in season that just I would lick my plate clean from I mean I'm just like having a memory of parmigiana and having to like stop myself from drooling right now and so when I was over there I wanted to stay after school and decided okay I've been over here long enough my course is like six months long I've decided I still can't speak Italian I need to get on with this and there was one other girl in town between the age of like 25 and 35 who had a command of English and she had just gotten, like, she decided to get out of a long-term relationship. I shouldn't, like, spill all her beans on here. <laughs> no, I'd like to we're, com me. we're coming for you, Elena. No. And so, <laughs> so let me tell you about her life. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> so she was looking, she was looking for another, another guy. And I was out there not looking, but there was a lot of Italian men who were a little bit aggressive and I wanted to, you know, vent with somebody. And so I, we started getting coffee and hanging out and chatting. And then one time I saw her on the boardwalk walking arm in arm with this gorgeous guy. And I knew that no one else speaks English here except for her. So I went up to her very confidently and was like, Alenia, oh my God, he's so cute. Like, good job, good get. And, um, and she quickly told me that that was her cousin, not her brother, because in Italy, I guess you work on and on with cousin. And she 
uh, set us up on a date and he picked me up on his motorcycle and then I was his forever. Wow. <laughs> and then that was the that's end. That's the way to do it, I guess, kids. If you're taking notes at home, that's the way to do a, it. A motorcycle and then it's over. Pretty that's pretty much, much what that's it does. That's really yeah. what just happened, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Don't tell your parents. <laughs> um, so you guys came back to Richmond eventually. Yeah, the two we... Of you. We came back to Richmond and we started what is now called Dinner in the Field. And so it was the right time. No one in Richmond was really doing anything like that. We were inspired by Gregorio's family dinners that they would have every Sunday. They were out in an open field. It was too freaking hot to be inside anyways. Long table. He's one of eight. So there was like always 30 or 40 people coming, bringing delicious food that was picked from the garden that day and prepped. Like I remember somebody handing out appetizers of cucumbers that they pulled off of the vine, sliced, put a little bit of olive oil, salt, and dried oregano, but like Calabrese oregano, it's it's a different world. I'll I should bring you some so you can so, so you can yeah. just was the it like just right outside of Par- um Parma Calabrese, like yeah. last week. Yeah. It was so it's so it's a, good. It's a bomb. Anyways, we could talk about this awesome thing you can't have, but um, <laughs> you can't have it. It's delightful. No, I do have some. I'll give some to you. Nice. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> we bring it back in dr- in just big packages because it's it's the only way to eat it. Anyways, and it was it was one of the best things I've ever had. And it's because of the environment I was in. It's because it smelled like basil all around us. It's because it was open air evening. And it's because it was fresh off the vine with insanely high quality ingredients. And so when Gregorio and I... talking about olive oil that's not the same either. No. Like it is so different. Yes. I mean, it's crazy the difference between the olive oil in Italy and the olive oil in the States. Yes. I mean, they're not, even, they're not even the same animal. They're not the same animal. His is all done by family pressed, you know, olives that are from his trees in the back. Like the fact that some people have pumice oil on their menu just disgusts me. But I could go into a whole podcast <laughs> about yeah. why I hate other people's oils, which would be a really negative part two. Yeah, part two. Yeah, the I, I hate other people's it. oils too. <laughs> so I mean, yeah, yeah, you know what? We'd, we'd like to talk oil now, Scott. Um, what are your thoughts? So we uh, we came back, started dinner in the field, and it became um, a big success. You know, I feel like it's a big success and. Um, and we kept doing that and working with local farmers, and now um, we've uh, kind of divided and conquered, and he's taken over that, and he runs a beautiful dinner in the field. He actually just finished his last one in October, um, but you can sign up for his email list at dinnerinthefield.com. Please do. Is there I, a motorcycle involved in the uh, dinner the in the field? The handsome Italian man is there. He's there. And he's it, taken. And so is the beautiful Parmesan cheese, yes. and the field that it's the in is absolutely gorgeous. Yeah. And he brings back the oregano from Italy when he travels. Like He brings back ingredients that you cannot get here if you have millions of dollars to spend because they just don't send, sell it. And it's the 25 year age balsamic that he drizzles over the top of it. And, and so a million dollars an ounce. I mean, like it's nuts. Mm -hmm. And like truffles and it's, it's awesome. It's so awesome. He does private dinners in the off season. So if anyone's interested in groups of like six to 12 people, he'll go over your house, he'll cook you dinner. You get to pretend that he's your amazing husband chef. Like I have, um, just for the night though, just for the night, just until 12. I was going to say, there's a curfew. (laughs) No, but I mean, he's, he's that way for my parents as well. And he'll, he'll cook family meals and he's just, he's the best. But we, um, so we did that and, and then 
you know, my my whole thing was I got to practice curating an experience from start to finish. I got I got to practice having a vision and executing the vision to each detail the way that I wanted to do it. And he was very kind with supporting me and allowing me to execute that vision and he really so he really supports me and he he still keeps it the same the same way you know I created it but it was very much like this is this is the way I think it should go and then he came in with the menu and he said this is the way I think the menu should go and um and so it was my first time ever collaborating with somebody like that and that's what I did for Island Shrimp Co here uh, with TJ Borowski. So uh, the two of us got to share visions and make sure that the menu matches that vision. And, and it, when, when you get the two things right, I mean, you really knock it out of the park. I had, well, I had one more question. I know, we're you do. Long time here, but, um, <laughs> so you mentioned the kids were taking over the company and you guys are starting that process to yes. really, really take things over. So you already have um, restaurants in Shore Pump, the city. We talked about Hopewell here in Chesterfield. What's next for you guys? You know, I really feel like the I we have a couple people who are we we're just like we're always hiring. <laughs> you know, people always are asking us, um, "How do you do this?" We say, "Well, we have an amazing team, and we're always hiring." You know, we want to make sure to get that out there to everybody. We're always accepting offers um, to look at what properties would be great for us. We really like teammates, so teams who are able to um, kind of. Uh, invest in whatever form that looks like to them to make sure that because they know we're going to be a success so we don't want it to be a one-sided partnership where we're going in and the place doesn't have anything invested in in it being a success the mall for example has been a fantastic partner allowing us to um, create this vision there's very few malls in the world or in the u.s that would let you put 13 shipping containers together and and call it a day without questioning the color layout scope whatever live roof is that really going to work so we want to have those partners um I, I would always envision us going somewhere for island shrimp coast specifically that we could be on the water so i think it'd be a nice hop to go to uh the norfolk virginia beach area and start practicing expanding because what we have ahead of us is you know to the moon. I mean, we can just take off. We have my brother, Kyle, who's extremely smart and talented and has come back from New York to join the business. My brother, Colin, who's been a part of the business for a little while now and is like a financial genius slash all the things that make life easier and automated. Like he finds them and he finds all these automated like pieces that take out day's worth of time in the organization of over 400 employees and so we really are you know I don't know if there's a specific way to say like a dynamic duo but maybe think like Captain Planet where we like all put our hands in and then we become we become Captain Planet well I was I just told you our secret we become Captain Planet. you become Captain Planet it's a team effort and it's so amazing that you guys have asked to speak with me and hear all about my quirks and my vision and my insane persnicketiness for how things look, taste, feel, sound. Um, and the only way that any of this would be in fruition is from the team that's part of the hospitality family. So that's the front of house, back of house, and also our leadership team. And then also our architects, Walter Parks, and our contractors, J.D. Lewis. 
real quick, the, this bridge that's connecting the two restaurants. Roby's that, favorite bridge. It is my favorite bridge. It, party bridge. It was called a party bridge, but I think it's called something else no, now. No, it's called a party it's bridge. It's still Roby, a party you bridge. got it. It's a party bridge. You can be a guest at one and walk over to the other? Oh, yeah, yeah. So, um, so the, the, secret, the secret to the sauce is that we are zoned under one ABC license. So looking at the, from ABC's perspective, we are one big restaurant. However, we function inside that zone as two independent restaurants. So you can grab your favorite um, cocktail, which is, you know, the peanut frozen pina colada, which is amazing. We make it all in-house. Other people use mixes. We use all great, like, Coco Loco, no delicious. Pineapple. Yeah, no mixes. And, um, and you can grab that and say, okay, um, I want to get coconut shrimp, pina colada, and some poke nachos here up on the roof. Um, but my husband really wants that Frio Margarito Classic at Casa. He can go over, grab a Frio Margarita, close out his tab, and then just walk over kind of, I always say like New Orleans style, or like if you're on a cruise, you have all these places that you can eat, and then you can move it all around without getting in trouble. You could, so literally you can party on the bridge. Yes, well you can bar hop too. Oh, true. With yeah. your drink in your hand. Very cool, very cool. Do you and, have any other no, but I, I, I now want a margarita. I don't know about you. We'll get <laughs> you one. <laughs> no, it's during the day. No margaritas till evening. Well, good. We're with Paige Healy yes. of the Hospitality Group. You're listening to Eat It Virginia with Roby and Scott. I do need to say this about Fire Farm Fork, Scott. Say it. Well, the dinners, you know, they sell out. They lunches they sell out the drinking they sell out this year for the first time that i have been at part of fire farm fork and i don't want you to think that this area of fire fire farm fork is not well attended but this year i was so impressed to see the food university like the educational component of fire farm fork it was so well attended so dan juicy of brigade who is the executive chef at one point in time of noma one of the best chef, one of the best restaurants in the world, um, and Jeff Gordonier, who just wrote Alewife, number six of America's best restaurants. I'm seeing that all over my social media channels. Yes. Everyone's very excited. He, those two, had a conversation at the front of the Virginia History Museum stairs. Seems to be the place to be that, that weekend. About food, and and how it. I don't know, shapes our children because Brigade is what Dan Juicy is doing now and that is changing the game of school lunches in New York and several other areas. Jason Cameras was there. They ha- Reba judged the food competition, which was a school lunch competition that happened after the entirety of this talk. It wasn't long. It was like an hour and 10 minutes or so. So it wasn't like you're going to be there all day staring at individuals that could or could not be interesting. They were riveting. Absolutely riveting. Todd Waldo emceed it. It was just a brilliant conversation on what food does and how it affects your growth as a child. So as, as a participant, what did you learn? What can you share with our audience that what did you learn? So Dan's really, he's very introspective about his life at Noma and how that changed his course on what it, he, how he looks at food. He said, you know, we had this whole mindset that we're the best restaurant in the world and therefore we need to push the envelope, he said, but when you have a table of six and four of those dishes, which are essentially four bites eat, all come back with three bites still on them, he's like, we're clearly doing something 
not wrong, but not it's not the greatest restaurant in the world. And when you ask your server that they say everybody says everything is great, he's like, I don't know as it is if three of those four bites are coming back. He's like, and that's a real thing that I needed to take away because we can, we don't want people to not get it. And that's what people are afraid to say in some restaurants is they think that they don't get it. They go to these places that are pushing the envelope and they don't like something and they don't say anything because they feel like they're missing the point. And he's like, that's not what food should be. So you shouldn't cook for you. You should cook for the people that are eating in your restaurant. Not getting it might be one of the factors that causes a restaurant to unfortunately close earlier than the owners might anticipate or have expected. You're correct, or investors, or uh, multiple other things. But yes, you're we, correct. This week in Richmond, we've had a couple of restaurants, quite a few, well, a few actually, uh, ah. announced that they were uh, closing their doors, including Scuffletown Garden, which opened to much fanfare earlier this year. It has five and a half months. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty wild. They, uh, this is the restaurant in the fan that replaced, at least physically replaced, um, Strawberry Street Cafe, which had been open for about four decades. I don't, e- I don't think five and a half months is even enough time to. To even know if you're going to be successful. I actually like to poll some restaurant owners and find out where, like, where that, I feel like that's probably the hardest time to be open is five and a half months later, especially over the summer when nobody eats out because it's hot and you want to grill and then you want to go to bed. I mean, like, it's not even the busiest time for restaurants. I just am really interested to find out why that is the case and if there's already another direction. This is me speaking behind the scenes, but have they figured out that they're already going to do something else? Being the owners or the investors, or both? Well, the investors are the largest portion of it, because you have to either continue to put money into it, and largest portion by virtue of money, not by hard work. Sure. I mean, I'm sure the investors did hard work to get to the money, but anyway, um, it's it's really interesting to me to have something, have the plug pulled after five and a half months when you've been working on it maybe for a year to get up to that point. The reporting in the, in the Richmond Times-Dispatch basically indicated um, that the restaurant, the people that were on the ground running the restaurant every day, the investors basically said, you guys aren't making enough money, we're pulling the plug. That's the understanding that you have of the situation? So that is the largest understanding that I can get currently from the people that are involved. I There are some other things that I've heard behind the scenes that haven't been made public that may be the case that we'll hear later, but nobody's really saying anything anything on the record. Let's change the tone a little bit from the podcast about places that are closing or have closed to places that are opening or are soon to open. Have you heard of any? So we got a lot of... So this is so... Do you drink a lot of juice? Uh, Occasionally I'll go to a a juice bar. I'll, I'll go to Ginger Juice, uh, North End Juice Company. Sure. I don't really drink the juice there. They usually have like a bowl, like a what I think is a healthy bowl. I'm not sure, sure if it's actually healthy. Sure. Consult to me Something as a bright bowl. blue or yeah, exactly. bright pink. Sure. And $15. Yeah. It, oh, man, you got a thing for price today. I like it. Um, so the juice laundry is opening um, over there on River Road, which is a, apparently pretty cult followed by individuals that are juicers. Is that a subset of people? Look, those are, those are baseball players that take steroids. They're the juicers. Oh, okay. Well, not maybe those people too. <laughs> but like, I, I don't know. Individuals that like juice. I mean, Ryan, my other half, he likes orange juice in the morning. Does that the same so thing? So does my son. He's my other half. <laughs> yeah, there you go. So anyway, and then 
Crush, which is an organic eatery, opened out in Short Pump. Similar thing. Yeah, they had a big grand opening a couple of weeks ago. Yep. And then, like, there's a couple other juice bars that are coming along. Interestingly to me, <laughs> I told you about this earlier, Bardizon. I don't know if I'm saying that right, but it's the it bar that's fancy. far. The bar that's far. Oh, <laughs> yeah. the one that's out in Goochland, we think? <laughs> yes, at Dover Hall. Have you been yet? It's supposed to open on the 20th. So you haven't been yet. No, it ha- I mean, there was a soft opening that I didn't go to. I mean, and it's soft by, like, friends and family, and I'm not anybody who's opening it's friends or family, so I did not go to that. And then um, I guess the tw- they're aiming for the 20th. All right. Okay. I'm interested because I think that that is – out there. Is it an event space or is it a restaurant? It's or do a we know? bar. A bar. Mm-hmm. So a restaurant has to be in the state of Virginia. Speaking of bars, I had the awesome experience of attending the Jaspers pop-up with Pizza Bones. Pizza and Bones or Pizza Bones? I think it's just Pizza Bones. Pizza ben Bones. Burakoff, mm-hmm. who is the chef at Barrel Thief, just so you know. Oh, is he? Yes. Lovely. Uh, love going to the Jasper. Love the pop-ups. Pizza was good. It's kind of hard to eat, though. They did a special... Euro style pizza, a meat and a vegan styles, and when, Did when you at have least the for vegan? me, I had the vegan style, yeah. And when I lifted it up, it kind of all fell apart in my uh, in my hand. So it was, it was, was it meant the, to the be flavors wrapped? were good. There were no instructions given with the pizza. <laughs> it no, was, they it was just, was just like, like here, have some. Yeah, I mean, they were served, and you ate it. I think they assumed one knew how to eat the pizza, but they didn't. Count, they didn't count on me coming. Right, so and we all know you have no idea how to yeah. eat pizza. So I, so I, I did not go. I like Ben Burkhoff. I love pizza bones. I think they do a great the job. The flavors were there. It was just I couldn't get it into my mouth. The gyro flavors were there. Uh, I don't understand the pizza idea with the gyro. I don't. I mean, I feel like they're really talented at pizza, and maybe they went. So, they went a little. I don't. I don't know. They, a pizza gyro, yum. I mean, yeah, but like. You have a take on this. I can tell. I can see it. I can see the. The gears turning. You have a take on all this pop up. I, I, I don't know. I feel like I, I love pop ups. Like I think they're a great way for a restaurant that may not have a clearly defined mission or th- or thought process with what they want to do to get it. This like, we're talking in general now, not specifically pizza bones. No, 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 no. I mean, there's like billions of great. There's like ten great pop ups. Let's not say billions, billions to <laughs> yeah. ten. Somewhere yes. between ten and a billion <laughs> yes. is the number of great pop ups. I mean, we have great ones. Ruby Martin. Yes, that's November how it, 2019. Somewhere between ten and a billion. Yep. And I think that a lot of them are great concepts. But do you think, Scott, being that you went to the one that the Jasper, which I guess sold out in like an hour and twenty minutes, it was crowded. It was a lot of fun. I mean, there was a line when I first got there. Do you think that you would repetitively, even though the flavors were there, I love that statement by you. Um, Eat a year sarcasm in your voice. <laughs> Jeez. No, but I understand what that means. Like okay. I realize it sounds super weird to say, but I get it. I'm saying it tasted good. I know you did. Yeah. I know. I enjoyed it. It was hard to eat. But let me finish. No. Even though the flavors were there, that is going to be what we put at the bottom of the that's the name of this podcast. The flavors are there. We're looking um, for a guest host for this podcast. Yes, to call, it's named it Scott. We'd like to replace Scott Wise. Um we'd like to replace. <laughs> Literally, you and me in a room, and we'd like to replace Skywise. Anyway, would you go to a restaurant that would serves that gyro pizza regularly? I would not order that specific gyro pizza regularly. Okay. Would you go to a restaurant that serves really, really great pizza regularly? All of the time. So, in their highlighting of what they do, fantastic, great, better than most... That is not, in your opinion, the top, the upper echelon. Uh, well, yeah, I've never had anything else that this particular restaurant has made 
So maybe they've done a dozen of these pop-ups, and they're just kind of like trying different things every single time. I can I'm do a sure. little bit of research and figure that out. Um, they have. Yeah. Absolutely. So and they sell out pretty regularly. So I feel... Trying, like I appreciate them trying new things, you know? Like I love that. But I think that if you want to cultivate a customer base, and this is just my opinion, because I'm going to get skewered or raked or whatever it is, and I don't really care. Come at me, bro. I think that they should... Um, do what they do best to cultivate a customer base. So when they open up down the road, please, God, let Ben Barakoff have a pizza place down the road because he makes delicious pie. Used to be pizza 2000, if you're familiar with that at all. Um, I think that they should do what they do best and sell out of that. If you tried the pizza at the Jasper the other night, send us an email, eatitvirginia at gmail.com, or hit us on social media, Twitter, Facebook, at eatitvirginia. Yell at Roby about her pizza thoughts over at eatitvirginia. Yell at Roby about anything all the time. <sighs> this episode of Eat It Virginia... <laughs> Eat It Virginia? <laughs> this episode of Eat It Virginia... <laughs> no! Oh, God, no. This has been a production of the Tribune Audio Network.